And God, by your grace, will you give us um, just insight into your word tonight? Will you give us joy in it and excitement uh, for what, you're gonna, what we're going to learn and see through this last week in James? By your grace, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, how are you? Dude, it feels like a, yeah, it feels like a lifetime since I've been up here. So it's been a little while. I may be a loose cannon. It's the last one of the semester, so we're all going on break. Um, hey, if I haven't met you, my name is Brandon. I'm the college director here at Redeemer. And tonight you're joining us as we wrap up this semester as far as teaching. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna have a Henderson All Worship Night. But this semester of teaching as we've been walking through the book of James. And, and so what we said was in this world where, where culture and even sometimes the church tries to fit itself into these little nuances of culture and we'll have catchy sermons or ways to communicate or like all these different things that can kind of be built on ourselves. We decided long ago, Redeemer College, we're like, hey, we just want to get back to what the truth of the scripture said. And so I told you when I took the job, like, I don't have a lot of creativity. Um, I mean, look, the, the series title is James. It's awesome. Yeah, I feel it's like good for 2,000 years, good for us. Um, and so, uh, but, but what, I, what I wanted to commit to you was like, we're gonna get into the word and we're gonna see what the word has to say. And, and not just that it applied to a, a people group 2,000 years ago, but that it still is applicable to us and calls us to levels of joy and intimacy that we may not know. And, and so I, I don't know where you're coming in here today and, and where you are, but, but the hope is that, and what we believe about the scriptures is they're not band-aids to put on our problems, right? It's not like we're just trying to, to, to plug the dam with our fingers while something else is going on here. But rather, here's what we'd say, is that the scriptures lead us to a savior in Jesus that doesn't just put a band-aid on the problem, but actually heals and makes whole. Like this is the gospel, right? That, that Christ in his, in coming to this earth and descending, that, that he brings restoration and reconciliation. That through his life, his death and his resurrection, that we actually have hope to move past the band-aid of just trying to fix ourselves or, or try to fit into culture and kind of meet where culture's going. But rather the truth of the Bible and the truth of the gospel is that we get to kind of get over that and see culture from a different way and then become intercessors and ambassadors for a great gospel. And so this is what we're gonna do tonight. We're gonna get into James. We're gonna turn to James chapter five and we're gonna get to work tonight. So if you have your Bible, James chapter five is where we're gonna be. And we'll be starting in verse 13 uh, here in a second. But before we get there, I wanna tell you a story. Uh, you hear a lot about my upbringing because it's really all I know. Um, and, and so when I was a kid, let me, let me kind of tell you what it was like growing up in a Christian culture um, with a mom who was a believer and, and a dad who wasn't at that time. And so uh, my mom would wake me up at 6.15 in the morning as a six, seven-year-old, right? 
It's, it's a nightmare. Um, man, I, I, I am now a morning person. I, I love the morning. Um, it's great time. Uh, it's about the only time I have, you know, with quiet with the kids before my kids start stirring, but, but I was not at that point. So I would drag myself out of bed after my mom came in and sang this ridiculous song. It's time to get up in the morning, right? Does anybody have that mom? Right, yeah, right, and just like, ah. Um, and so I would get up and I'd drag myself into the shower where then I was told, mom was like, hey, you need to pray in the morning. So I would pray in the shower, these really like superficial prayers, right? Like, God, be, bless my family and bless my mom and bless my family and my mom and my dog. Amen, right? It's like, and so I'm just trying to do this. And so I would get out of the shower. I would go in where, where I was in, supposed to open my Bible and read it. Now, now, listen, I'm grateful for a lot of these things now because in that, my mom's had a foundation for this, but at, the, at that time, I was not. And so I'm just like praying to God that he gives me like a short Psalm to read that morning. It's like opening my Bible like this, like just give me something short. And so I would just, man, no, Psalm 119, crap. Um, <laughs> And, and I, would, I would then read my Bible and then my mom would come in and we would pray for like 42 hours, right? Like I'd miss school. Now, it what was a, really like 15 minutes. And I can remember her coming in and praying and I don't remember what she said, but I remember I had this one part, right? And I had this part where if you're not familiar with the scriptures, there's this part in Ephesians chapter six that talks about the armor of God, right? Like some of you guys actually bought the play set at Mardell when you were a kid. Um, but some of you guys are like, what? Christian culture is so weird. Um, yes, yes it is. Um, but, but I had this part and so like, it was, I would put on the armor of God, right? It's like the helmet of salvation. I like do the, like, you know, and the breastplate of righteousness. And I would wave my, like, this was my part, right? And then mom would end the prayer. And, and then I just go about my, my life as if that was just, just this ritualistic routine that I did. And so this is what prayer became to me, was just something that I did, a ritual that was to be fulfilled. It was a transaction and a really mundane transaction at that. And so listen, tonight, listen, I'm not gonna blow your mind, all right? If you're, I'm not blowing your mind by saying, hey, hey, we need to pray more, right? I think if you were to be honest with yourself, your prayer life probably isn't where you like it to be. And I don't think we're gonna, we're gonna you know, change any, any worlds in here, shatter anything, and even to say, hey, prayer should be an important part of our life. You know, everyone in here, uh, whether you're religious or not, whether you've grown up in the church or you haven't, and listen, if you haven't grown up in the church, you're gonna hear a lot of weird things about Christian culture. Welcome, man. Um, but we're really uber glad you're here and, and wanna invite you into not Christian culture, but invite you into Jesus and the gospel. And, and that's kind of what we try to do here is, is whether you've grown up religious or not, is that you've probably gotten to that point in your life where, you're, where you were being just pummeled by tidal wave after tidal wave of circumstances. And, and you may have gotten to that point where you just probably said, man, man I just need to pray. And so you hit your knees and you prayed to a God that you really didn't believe in, but was kind of culturally around. Um, or, or you really did try to pray and you didn't really know what it meant. Or we've all heard those things, whether it's been on when a tragedy has struck in life or, or whatever, whether they're religious or not, is, is I'll pray for you, right? Like, like it's still a part of our culture is, is this idea of prayer. But, but the question isn't whether we need to pray more. Here's the question that we wanna look at tonight is what needs 
begins to change in us in our attitude towards prayer. Where prayer and praise, like I'm gonna interlink those two things all night. I don't think they're separate. I think they're, they're together. Where, where prayer and praise are not just ritualistic acts that we do as part of a culture that we've been brought up in, but where they actually shatter these areas where we try to compartmentalize our life into spiritual and then the rest of it. Where we can actually enter in and have our lives change in the way that we think and the way that we see the world, the way that we look at money and the way that we interact in relationships and the way we see our future and our desires. Like this is what, what James is gonna press on us today. And so let's look here at James chart in uh, verse 13. He says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man like, with, with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, now, this, this is a, a really highly and, and hard to interpret passage in a lot of areas, maybe one of the hardest in the, in the, in the New Testament. I'm not gonna try to nuance it. What I wanna do tonight is look at these big rocks of, of what prayer is, what James is not saying, and then what he's calling us to, okay? So that's kind of where we're gonna go. So, so here's how we would define prayer. Prayer is a way of relating to God, to ourselves, and to those around us. Prayer is both conversational and experiential, that it is an encounter with God, right? That, that this is something that is gonna flow out of not just an action, but rather out of a heart. And then we're gonna look at that in a minute. And so that's kind of where we're gonna go is that, is that prayer isn't just isn't this thing that we, we do, but rather it's something that we get to both converse with God and get to experience a good God. And so listen, here's what James is not saying in this text. James is not saying that you have to have enough faith in yourself to see your prayers answered, right? That you have to have enough faith in yourself to see his physical healing or, or mental or spiritual, that they will always even come when you pray. That's not what he's saying. You see, because it doesn't fit in with the rest of scripture. It doesn't fit in with the rest of, of the teaching of scripture. What he's not, he's calling us to faith, right? And we're gonna look and call, see what he's calling that faith to, but he's not calling us to go, hey, just do more good stuff and then God is gonna reward you with that, right? That's not, that's not the idea that James is, is having here. And I think there have been people that have built entire kingdoms on this thought that if you have enough faith and what they really mean by that is if you do enough good works, um, then, then you're gonna have all the desires of your heart and your life's gonna be this, this series of fairy tales and lollipops and, and there's nothing bad that's ever gonna happen to you. And that's just not the teaching of the scripture overall. 
Um, It's not about us conjuring up enough faith in ourselves to have this transaction where, where I do a bunch of good works and see God do these things. This is really a false teaching. And so James is not saying, hey, conjure up faith inside of yourself in your own good works. He's saying something deeper here. The second thing that he's not saying is listen, he's not saying that prayer is a last resort, right? But rather to daily lifeline to the king and to a proper perspective of the world around us. I think my natural reaction and maybe yours too and my, my attitude in life is often, I got this, right? I got this. I mean, that's kind of how we're raised, right? Suck it up, get it done. Nobody's gonna care about you but you. And we do this in prayer a lot and, and I've developed, what I've seen in myself is, is I kind of developed this false sense of confidence that, that keeps my walk with the Lord in this area where it's just to the spiritual things. And so I can pray to him these spiritual things, but, but so often I don't trust or depend on him when it comes to the rest of my life, right? Because I got this. And, and then when I don't got it, I usually go, Lord, right? And so whether it's, 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 whether it's for my wife, right? Like, like in being a husband that serves and loves my wife well, like often I'm like, I got this. And then I realize, no, I don't got it. I'm like, oh God, I need to be better, right? Or with my kids, it's not a last resort or whether it's you, whether it's with your major, like, right? Like, like, have you contemplated that? Have you gotten to the end of your rope? Is it, is it the relationship that's going really, really good or really bad? Like his prayer is, James is not saying, hey, get to the end of your rope and then pray, right? Get to the end. Some, for some of us, yes and amen. Some of us, that's our story, right? Is we got to the end and we cried out to God and, and he answered and that's beautiful for us. That's my story, man. That's my story. I got to the end where I wanted just to end my life and God intervened, right? But what he's saying here is the, the, the regular rhythm of the follower of Jesus is not gonna be going to prayer as a last resort, but rather a rhythm of their life. Third, he's not saying that prayer is a timid act. I, I think my prayer life is so often weak because I don't wanna be disappointed when I ask God for something and those prayers go quote unquote unanswered. That's why I would pray these really soft prayers. Hey, bless my family. I can't, I can't measure blessing, right? So it could be blessing, yeah. And so, so I, I don't wanna be disappointed. And listen, this is, this is developing a wrong view of God, Right? This is developed a wrong view of his sovereignty. And simply what we mean by his sovereignty is his control in and over all things. And he's moving things towards his good ultimate purposes in Jesus and the gospel. You see, what it does when it becomes a timid act is that it puts my reaction at the top and not his ultimate plan. It sees prayer through the lenses of this narrow, this, these narrow lenses of this short life that I'm here and not, I'm here for a moment and not through the eternal pers- 
perspective that God's trying to give us. That, that this earth is to be used up for the glory of God, right? It's for us to be on mission for him, to have our affections stirred for him because that's what's gonna ultimately be in heaven, right? And we've talked about that this semester, is like heaven is not the eternal choir, right? It's experiencing all the goodness of God. And when I, when I pray these empty prayers, what I'm saying, man, is God, I really don't trust in your goodness or your plan. I just kind of want to see you do what I want to do. And so uh, maybe you can relate here. Uh, I had, um, when I was in high school, uh, I was dating a girl for about two years and I had this prayer, right? God, she's the one, right? Just let it happen. Some of you guys are like, oh, I'm praying that right now. Um, you know, uh, it's okay. Um, but I wasn't a Christian or anything at that time, right? Um, and so like, I'm, I'm praying into this thing and, and, and I, I used God in this really kind of timid way uh, where I wasn't ultimately asking for my life to be used for his glory. Rather, I wanted him to do what I wanted him to do in this relationship, right? And that became the end all be all. And when that didn't happen, like, listen, here's what happened. When that didn't happen, and by God's grace, I look back and I'm like, praise God, I'm married to an awesome woman, man, who loves me more than I deserve. And I mean, you look back and you're like, God is good, right? Um, but, but in that moment, I didn't have any foundation of God's great ultimate plan. And so when that relationship ended, it just spiraled me. The bottom fell out. I didn't even know if God was real. And it led to some really dark days for me because my timid prayers were built about my reaction and not his ultimate plan. And so these things are like, James is telling us, hey, this is not what, what prayer life is. This is not what it is, but, but rather he's calling us to a vibrant prayer life. And, and listen, I've got four things and then we're gonna be out of here. Now, each of those four points are like 25 minutes, but... Some of you, yeah, some of you guys, it's a nervous laugh. But listen, I, I wanna look at these four things of what James is actually calling us to and what he actually means in prayer. And so the first, the first thing that James is calling us to is, is, is prayer that results from worship. So look at 13 and 14 again. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone among you is cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Like this is what, what prayer is built on. Prayer is built on worship and beholding a magnificent good God. Like this is what it is built on. Prayer at the core is worship. This is why James is saying, hey, uh, is anyone around you sick? Hey, let's pray, right? Is anyone suffering, going through a bad time? Hey, let's pray. Hey, if anyone is doing good, let's praise God for that. Like all those things are overflowing. Even in the midst of suffering, God is still working for his good pleasure in us. And some of you guys need to hear that, that the dark night of the soul is not always gonna be there. But in the midst of that, God's refining you. And it may be really painful, but out of that pain is gonna come a beholding and worshiping of a magnificent God. This is the ultimate root of prayer, is worship. It's not ritualistic. 
Like I look at the prayers that I, I'm a journaler, right? Like this is how most of my prayers are done. I'm, and I'm, I'm too, you know, squirrel whenever I pray. Like I just, my mind goes crazy, but I've got to really write it down to stay focused. And I look back on those prayers and those seasons where, where it's overflowed out of worship and the, and the depth that God has given me to see him for who he is, even when it was really hard. Man, God is good. It's an overflow of worship. Second is this. The nature of prayer is faith to trust Jesus. It's prayer that puts our trust in Jesus. Look at verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Like the prayer of faith, faith in what? We've already said that James is telling us that's not faith in ourselves and our good deeds, right? That is faith in Jesus. What makes faith strong is not the intensity of it, but rather the object. What makes our faith strong is not the intensity, but it is the object. Faith is not about working ourselves up emotionally, but it's rather asking the question, who am I focusing on? Who am I focusing my effort and my energy on? Is it on the fact that I can clean myself up and do really good things and try to earn God's favor and put God in debt so that he kind of owes me when life goes hard, he's got to do something nice for me? Or is my faith and, and the object of my faith fixed firmly on him and I've put my trust and faith in him? Like if we miss this, guys, like we're gonna wander under this weight of trying to have enough faith, of trying to conjure this up. And as a kid, um, from about the time when I was 10 or 11 until I was 16, I, I suffered with migraines, like just crippling. It would happen every Sunday at about 11. Um, you know, right at church, right? Um, my mom thought I was faking all the time, dying in my room. But I had this, and I grew up in a tradition where, where my migraines were a result of me not having enough faith. That's just the tradition I grew up. And I think it was well-intended, but, but, but when I prayed and those things didn't go away, and every Sunday I would be back in bed with a cold, I got, my, my son kind of suffers from now. So we had one the other night and just kind of empathizing and remembering that again. And I can remember like re my thought process was I'm, I'm not a good enough Christian. <laughs> I'm just not good enough. And so I would try to conjure up and work things and, and try to do things and and try to be a good person. It lasted for like seven minutes and then was back and, and God was punishing me for this, right? But when I look back now, years later, what I see God doing is that there's a dependency on the Lord and not on me. That, that I still get them every once in a while by God's grace or not every day. But when I do get them, what I'm reminded of is not that, that God is somehow eternally disappointed with me, but rather that I need him. Every minute of every hour of every day, I need him. I mean, he just continues to remind me of that. 
Why? Because, because it's not about me. Like we live in a broken world and sometimes broken things happen. And it's really hard. But when we look back post those things, what we see is God just putting, his de- putting us in dependency on him. And like I look around this room and I see stories of people who have been there this semester or last year where you've just gone through that. It's not that you're a bad person. <laughs> it's not that you haven't done enough good things. It's that, man, God is focusing you in on his goodness. And he wants the object of your faith to be him and not the circumstances. Third is this, prayer frees us from hiding. Prayer frees us from hiding. Look at verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession is more than individual prayer. James is gonna commend us and call us to what what we call the ministry of one anothering, right? We we one another. This is the main function of living in community, that, that we're confessing and bringing into light those areas that grip us. A confession being part of prayer. You know, what I thought about prayer was it was just this, and, and confession and repentance was, it was just this individual act. And so I would kind of do it in, my, in the quietness of my own heart or, or in my room and I would confess those things and, and what I would find myself still captured by the brokenness of my sin going, what's going on here, man? Like I confessed these things and repented and I was drawn back into that temptation and back into that sin. What James says here is that this one anothering in prayer, this confessing and repenting with one another brings sin into the light and offers true healing. True healing. Like like we can try to fix ourselves. Like listen, it's good to have apps on your phone that help you not look at stuff you're not supposed to. Like it's good to put those things in there, but I can have all the apps in the world. And if I'm not dealing with the brokenness of what's going on in my heart, and I'm not dealing with the root sins of those, we're gonna do a series uh, to start the spring semester called Counterfeit Gods. It's gonna try to identify some of those root sins that we have in us. If we're not dealing with those things, I'm just putting a Band-Aid on it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna find my way like a rat in a maze. I'm gonna find my way to another sin. Confession, actual, and repentance is a church family concern, right? This is why it's so important in our GCs that we're one anothering each other. This is why it's so important in grow groups that we're actually calling and and being accountable. It's what it means to commit to a local body of believers. It's why at Redeemer, we call it covenant membership because we want you to know and be known that what's easy to do is to come into a gathering like this where there's a couple hundred of us to sing praises to Jesus and leave and not have the relationship, not have the community and continue to hide behind, I'm a GC leader. Man, I raise my hands. I do all these Christian things. And we hide behind that rather than laying ourselves bare before those we trust that are in the fight with us. 
Like, listen, I think this is the point where James is just gonna continue to hone in on us because it's so relevant for all of us that we have a responsibility to one another. Like, look here at what he says in verse 19. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We have a responsibility to one another to have the kind of friendships and be in the kind of relationships that we can share our struggles with and to have the people that we can confess persistent sin to. Why? so that we can be healed. Like how many of us really like being out there hiding and trying not to let our sin catch us? Like how freeing is that? This is what the gospel frees us to. Guys, I'll get really excited. I'll go another level here in a minute. But listen, you're really excited because this is what the gospel calls us to. Freedom and joy in Jesus. It says, I'm not defined by my sin. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And why we want to one another. So you have the responsibility to be in those friendships. You also need to be someone who others can come to. Are you someone that another person would find approachable? Are you someone that's sensitive and trustworthy? Someone that's gonna empathize, but also direct back to the truth of the scripture. This is the culture that we wanna create here that seeks to put sin to death and live to Jesus because we've run to the end of sin and it's been a dead end, but Jesus offers life and hope and abundancy. We wanna run there. And listen, when we see people wandering from the truth, we have the kind of relationship that gets to enter in and go, hey, 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 man, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Remember the beauty of Jesus. Remember what he's freed you from and what he's set you to. And that's, that's community. And I love that we get to gather here and we get to be encouraged by the word and sing and get to connect. And, and that's great. But where the real work of ministry happens is in those smaller, intimate settings. That's where we do the work. That's where we die and we grow. Fourth is this, and last one, is prayer has power. Prayer that has power. Look at verse 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And he says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Listen, we're reminded by James, that prayer is not a mere gesture, but that actually can do things. Now listen, I'm not gonna pretend to try to know how God's great, beautiful plan and our prayer life play into that. What I know is the Bible calls me to pray and I see this, right? And James uses Elijah as an example. Like if you're not familiar with Elijah, he's an Old Testament prophet, 
Um, and these dudes were not really well liked. If you wanna read more about him, find somebody in here, go read 1 Kings 17, go read 2 Kings chapter two, and you're gonna get to kind of know Elijah. But, but the focus is not necessarily on, on what happened here, right? Like it's not on trying to compare us to the office of prophet. What James is comparing us to is that, hey, we're just like Elijah in nature. He's just a dude. He's just a guy. He has special power in him. He's had a special calling. And the situation and the illustration that he points out here is just showing the power of prayer. In that time in Israel, um, they, there was a lot of double-mindedness and spiritual adultery. And so what would happen is that these, they were, uh, the Israelites were given this law that had a bunch of commands and you know, you've seen the 10 commandments and all that stuff. And, and, and they, they had these commands they had to do. And so they would go in, they would worship these foreign land idols because they were real pretty and they draw them in. So they'd worship these idols and sacrifice these idols in the same breath they turn and do the temple thing. And there was just kind of this, like this double-mindedness. I don't know if that reminds you of any place that we live, but that was where they were at. And there was this King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. I mean, you probably heard that name before. And Elijah was charged to bring God's word to them, which was really no easy task. And so, so Elijah prays and it doesn't rain. <laughs> and then he prays and it does. And, and when it comes to the office, we're not like Elijah, but when it comes to prayer, he is just like us. He was a man with a nature like ours, but a powerful prayer life that was built on pursuing the Lord and his glory. It goes back to the object. His object was on God and not the culture around him and not the circumstances and not being liked. And James wants us to remember that many of us do not pray as we should because we don't really think our prayers will make a difference. So it just becomes a spiritual gesture void of any real truth or any real power tied to Jesus. And so we don't ask for big things from God because we really don't think it's gonna make a difference. There's a story that I heard and um, you can go check it out on YouTube. There's this uh, airline company in Canada called WestJet. I think it's like the Southwest Airlines of Canada. And it was Christmas time, it's about eight years ago. And uh, they did this virtual Santa thing. It was kind of marketing ploy, right? And so this big kiosk, this virtual Santa popped up on us. This dude in a green room somewhere in Toronto. And he's dressed in his, his Santa suit and he's asking these people, he can see the camera. He's asking these people what they'd like for Christmas, right? And so there are people that look at this Santa and they're, you know, they're getting ready to get on this flight and they're like, oh, I want a new camera or, you know, uh, I want a, you know, a, a, a train, a little kid asks for a train or whatever it may be. I want a, I want a big 50 inch flat screen TV, right? And, and you know, there's one guy's like, I just want some socks and underwear, right? Um, I'd probably be that dude. Um, and so those guys check in, they get on their flights, right? And whatever, I don't know where they were connecting to, but they get on their flight. Unbeknownst to them, while they're in the air to their destination, the people of the employees of WestJet at the destination airport are hitting the stores, man. And so when those people land at their destination, they get off the plane and they are waiting at the carousel for their baggage. And all of a sudden, these presents start flowing out of the carousel with their name on it, right? 
And so like, there's a girl, she gets a camera, right? Somebody got like a paid vacation somewhere. Uh, the dude got his socks and underwear, right? And then the last thing is like, they show this picture where this big loading dock opens up and this 50 inch flat screen TV rolls down. People are crying and everything. And, and I'm watching this story going, man, man, I know that I'm in prayer. I'm not always gonna get what I want because at the end, God is a good father who knows. And if I gave my kids everything they wanted all the time, they'd be spoiled brats. But what I've convinced myself so often is I don't, I don't need to ask for big things from God. And what this passage is saying is that we pray big to God that we pray for healing and we pray for reconciliation and we get ourselves outside of this comfort bubble and we put ourselves out there and go, God, I trust you, man, but will you heal my mom? I trust you, but this relationship seems like there's no end. It's just gonna be horrible and toxic. Will you move in it? And we ask God for big things. Prayer life is powerful when we are in line with God's ultimate purpose and promise when we are not just these one-off pleasantries that we're giving to God, but that we're molded and shaped by God's grace in Christ to us. The more, the more that we behold Jesus, the more we're gonna be pushed to pray out of the overflow of the worship of a big God who does big things. And these stories in the, in the Bible, man, those are stories for our encouragement of what God still is able and can do. So listen, as we close tonight, Christian, I don't know where you're at, man. But what I'd ask you is, what does your prayer life look like? What does it look like? Where are you believing the lie of the enemy? And where are you believing the lie that he's got this, small things for you? Where do you need to be challenged? Where is God stretching you? Where is he leading you to depend on him even more? And you are embracing that beauty of prayer? Are you being someone that doesn't just say, hey, hey I'll pray for you, but you actually stop and you pray for that person? You actually stop and pray for them? And for those of you in here that, that wouldn't identify as a Christian, like, like you're, maybe this is even your problem with Christianity, right? Like maybe this is your problem with God and Christianity is that you've seen people manipulate the spirit for their own personal gain and wealth and for temporary needs. And maybe you're like, man, that's my problem right there. Listen, I get it. I get it. But you're going to, listen, you're going to cry out for help somewhere. You're, you're gonna cry out for help. You're gonna turn to something. And, and, and man, whether that's been like, hey, I've seen my parents and I prayed and they're still hurt and there's still brokenness and, and I prayed here and that tragedy still happened. Listen, and I, I wanna hurt with you because those, those situations hurt and I don't wanna minimize that. But what, what I do know is that the Christian will pray to a God that we have hope in that this isn't it. And we grieve even in the midst of the dark night of soul, we don't grieve as those who don't have any hope. That, that God doesn't offer us a band-aid, but that he really solves the problem. That God offers new life in Jesus, that he offers healing and wholeness. And maybe that's your point of prayer tonight to go, God, I'm at the end of my rope, man. 
and where you ask him to see things the way they are intended to be. Maybe for the first time you cry out that way. In a minute, we're gonna, we're gonna give some time for response, but listen, here's, here's how I'll end it. We have a relationship with God that's not just theological knowledge about him, but it's experiencing a good father. And maybe that's where we need to be encouraged tonight. Man, let's pray. Father, as we, as we contemplate these things from your word, some of them are challenging and some of them are really, really hard. And some of them are really, really encouraging. But God, wherever we find ourselves tonight, wherever our prayer life looks like, God, to know that it doesn't have to all of a sudden just be this perfect verbiage and words, but that, God, we can just cry out from the pit of who we are and you know and you understand and you discern our thoughts even when we can't. And so tonight, wherever my friends are, God, wherever my brothers and sisters are, Lord, that they would, they would cry out to you, Lord, if that's deeper dependency and love for you, if that's in the midst of the dark night of the soul to grieve, man, as though they don't have, as, as though they have hope, man. Or if that's him crying out, God, I'm at the end of myself and I need, I need you. I need you to heal it. God, they would do that tonight. They wouldn't let another moment go by where they don't do dealing with their soul they don't just try to put a Band-Aid on it, but rather they go to the source that offers hope and freedom in Jesus. So uh, do that in, in each and every one of us and do that in our ministry, God, for your great glory and your goodness. In a minute, we're gonna sing, guys, but before we do that, I think we would really be remiss to run from this moment. We, we just run from here and, and not do dealing with where the Lord is. And so whether that's in the silence of your own heart sitting there, whether it's grabbing a friend and just praying, whether we've got staff members at the back by that light that would love to pray with you and intercede and enter into that with you, man, we're gonna take a few minutes just to contemplate what, what's going on in our heart. And then Hank's gonna call us to stand and, and, and we're gonna sing praises and truth to Jesus. Well, man, let's, let's spend some time now just where you're at and crying out and conversing with a good father.